Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. All right, guys, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, We're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. Probably uh, many of you may have never even heard of that book. Um, Haggai was a prophet, and uh, it's on 656 in the Bibles that were passed out, 656. If you need Bibles, they're coming down, page 656. Um, Haggai, easy for me, if I go to Matthew, I just turn three books to the left. Uh, Matthew's the first book of the gospel, first book of the New Testament, so it's easy for me. Um, If I go to Matthew and turn three books to the left, I'm at Haggai. It's a small book. It's only two chapters long. We're not going to read both chapters. We're just going to focus on the first chapter. Haggai chapter 1. When I first opened this book, I really had no idea what was going on. So just to give you guys some some preface information, Haggai um, chapter 1. What's going on here is... um, Basically, the, many of you might, might know, um, the nation of Israel, at, in this period of, in Israel's history, the nation of Israel, it's split. Um, the northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Okay? Um, in 609 B.C., giving you a little history lesson before school starts. Yeah. 609 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive. Okay? Judah is, uh, the Jews in, living in Judah were taken captive all the way to Babylon. They were taken captive by the Babylonians. All the way to Babylon. That's approximately a distance of a thousand miles. Just to put this in perspective, um, you guys know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were taken captive from their land, from their home in Judah, they're taken captive to Babylon. You know the story of the fiery furnace um, with King Nebuchadnezzar. That all takes place in Babylon during this time of captivity. Um, many of you are familiar with that story. Um, you know, when we think about that, it doesn't really uh, doesn't really hit us. At least me as being that big of a deal. Um, but then when you really start to think about it, Daniel and these guys who are your guys' age, they're teenagers, taken captive to uh, Babylon. Um, they're taken captive to Babylon. It's a thousand miles away from their home. They don't know the language. They don't know the location. Uh, they don't know the people around them, except for the friends that were taken captive with them. So uh, you know, don't go and you know, tell your parents, like, I'm so scared. Uh, I'm going to be taken captive. Uh, but just to put this in a mental perspective, um, that would be like us. If, if this group of kids, this group of guys and girls, were taken captive by the Cubans and taken to Cuba, that's approximately a thousand miles journey. That would be, I mean, I don't know about you, I'd be crying in my room, in my little Cuban home, uh, just crying my eyes out, because I, I don't know Spanish. Maybe my, some of you might, but... Uh, you know, I don't know the language. I don't know the location. I don't know anybody um, taken captive. We're taking captive from Lowndes County all the way to, to Cuba. That's, that's, I don't know about you, but that's extremely frightening. So if we get that kind of uh, perspective, like, okay, Daniel's a teenage, a teenager. He's taken captive from Babylon all the way, or taken captive from Judah all the way to Babylon. It kind of uh, brings this story to life a little bit. So this is the preface to this story. Um, a couple years later, King Nebuchadnezzar, that same king that you hear about in the story of Daniel, he comes to Jerusalem and burns it. He destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, uh, just lights it up, and um, destroys the temple of God, which the Jews used to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And then uh, 50 years later, King Cyrus, now he's the king of Persia, 
All right, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. King Cyrus, he's the king of Persia. King Cyrus conquers Babylon and allows all the Jews to go back home to their land of Judah. All right, that was after 70 years, though. They were taken captive for 70 years. For those of them that were taken captive uh, in their adulthood, most likely they, they would have died in Babylon. Coming back to, to their home in Judah, you know, they would have been 90, 100 years old. Many of them might have died in, in Babylon. If you were Daniel's age, like you guys are, in your teenage years, uh, you would be returning back home to Loudoun County when you were 75, 80 years old, 85 years old. So um, picture you're, you're allowed to go back home, finally back to Loudoun County, but um, it's a bittersweet moment because you come home after 70 years, but your home is burned, your, your church is, is burned, everything's, everything's destroyed. So uh, let's kind of have that, that picture in your mind of what that might have felt like being a, a Jew, being taken, taken captive to a land you don't know, King, Persia, or King Cyrus of Persia conquers Babylon and says, Hey, I'm letting you guys go home now after 70 years. Go home and rebuild the temple that was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. So imagine they, they go home after 70 years. You know, those of you that, that uh, were taken captive from Judah when they were young come back 80 years old uh, to their home that's destroyed. All right, so that's the preface. That's the story. That's where we, where, where we begin the book of Haggai. Um, so it's a scary thing, not, seeing, not uh, being, being away from your home for 70 years and coming back and just seeing everything in ruin. That's what the Jews, that's what the Jews um, do. They come back after 70 years. And uh, Cyrus says, hey, I'm writing a decree for you guys. I'm writing a mandate. Go home, worship the Lord, rebuild your temple, and properly, properly worship the Lord. Uh, the, the Jews had been without a temple to worship in for 70 years. And so King Cyrus says, hey, go back home and rebuild your temple and rebuild, uh, rebuild the temple and worship the Lord after 70 years. Um, Ezra chapters 3 and 4 speaks of this a little bit. It speaks of the rebu- rebu- re- excuse me, rebuilding of the temple. And um, he, he says that it's a very joyous time that they come back and they're really zealous to get back to the work of the Lord to rebuild the temple that they've been without for 70 years. And everyone's excited. Ezra also talks about that they face opposition. And the moment they face opposition from their uh, surrounding countries, they put the building project on pause. And uh, Ezra chapter 4, 4 says, Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah, making them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they're rebuilding the temple they, they have fervor, they're zealous, they're overjoyed. Finally, we get to rebuild our temple after 70 years. In the middle of their building project, their enemies from surrounding countries, they come and discourage it and say, what are you doing? And the moment they face opposition, the moment the Jews face opposition, they put the building project on pause. Um, it's symbolic of today, guys. Um, I don't know if many of you might have gone to summer camp or winter camp, or maybe many of you guys have, have been to one of uh, the summer camps or... Um, or winter camps, but that's exactly what happens uh, at summer camp. I've been to plenty of summer camps where um, I myself have gone to, to camp, and maybe some of you guys committed your life to the fir- for the first time. Maybe many of you guys got saved for the first time, and it, that's great. That's wonderful, but the moment you guys came home, maybe some of your parents, I know that some of your testimonies were, my parents don't have a relationship with the Lord. My parents aren't saved. Um, my friends, some of my friends I go to school with, they're not saved. 
Um, one of my best friends, he doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. How's he going to react when I tell him, I just gave my life to the Lord? Sometimes Jesus isn't seen as cool in school. Um, maybe not even seen as cool among some of your parents. Um, and I know that that was some of your guys' testimonies. And uh, oftentimes, after we go to camp and we worship the Lord, we hear from Pastor Barrett, from Pastor Tyler, from Pastor Ben, Pastor Gary. We hear great messages. We have our time alone with God daily. We're really invested in the Word. And we really, uh, if you will, are on a spiritual high. And then we come home and we face opposition, whether at school or at home. And we kind of just back off a little bit and say, whoa, 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 like... That commitment I, I dedicated my life to the Lord, that commitment I made to him, um, I didn't realize I was going to come home and not be encouraged in my walk with the Lord. I didn't realize I was going to come home to parents who didn't have a relationship with Jesus, didn't encourage my walk with the Lord. I didn't realize I was going to go back to school in two weeks and people wouldn't see my relationship with the Lord as cool. And so we back off a little bit. And um, sometimes unintentionally, but we are that zeal we once had just sort of dissipates. That, um, that fervor we had at summer camp um, just kind of settles down a little bit and dissipates. And, and um, that commitment we made to the Lord just doesn't mean what it used to mean when we come home and we face opposition. Similarly, this is what the Jews are facing. They're excited to rebuild the temple of the Lord. After 70 years of not worshiping God properly in the temple, they come back and they're discouraged. They're distracted. And uh, they face opposition, and they say, oh, whoa, 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 let's put this on, pa- on pause. Now's not the time to, to rebuild it. And so that's, that's the backdrop here to Haggai. So uh, let's, let's read verse 1 of chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. All right, so King Darius is now the king of Persia. He succeeded King Cyrus, and he says, all right, uh, men of Judah, people of Judah, rebuild the temple. Worship the Lord your God that you uh, haven't worshipped in the temple for 70 years. Let's go. And uh, so in verse 1 it says, um, The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. So Haggai was a prophet. The Lord used him to communicate his word. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You've eaten but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So what's going on here? What is, what's happening? So basically the people of Judah disregard building the, re, the rebuilding of the temple and say, no, we've got, some things, uh, we've got some things that we want to do instead. And their priorities, if you would, they have a mixed-up priority. They're too worried about their own flesh. They're too worried about their own houses instead of the house of the Lord. They're too worried about planting crops and gaining wages and earning money. Their, their satisfaction is not found in worshiping the Lord. Their satisfaction is built on um, their earthly desires, their earthly needs. And the Lord says... To Haggai, tell these people, let's, let's not stop. Let's, let's, let's begin the work that we once started. And your priorities are mixed up right now. And it's the same with us. And I can't, um, you know, the Lord says, uh, 
Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I don't know if I can honestly tell you guys that I've ever done that, that I've, that I've really, truly loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, because we're, we're fallen, human, sinful people, and that distracts us from uh, having a relationship with the Lord and being obedient to him sometimes. Um, and here, the Lord says, you have a mixed up priority. Your priorities are on feeding yourselves rather than building the temple of the Lord. You have plant, you've planted much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. There's no contentment. There's no satisfaction. The only satisfaction we will ever find is through Jesus Christ. And we might uh, chase after other things. That's what high school is going to tell you, for those of you going into high school. That's what middle school, that's what your friends tell you in middle school. That your satisfaction is found in other things. And you're going to, be, you're going to face uh, opposition. And you're going to say, no, this is cool. This is what's important. This is what everybody else is doing. And we're going to not, and you know, unfortunately many uh, kids, uh, many, many, many students um, fall into those temptations, into those uh, traps, into those desires, and say, yeah, I can find my, my satisfaction in another guy. I can find my satisfaction in another girl. Um, I can find my satisfaction in other things other than the Lord. But let me tell you, it never satisfied. You'll always feel empty. The further you, and the faster you chase after those things, um, just the, the more empty you'll feel. And so right here, the people of Judah, they're harvesting, but um, just doesn't seem that anything they do is coming to fruition. The Lord's saying, you have a mixed up priority. Build the house of the Lord, worship Him, and then everything else will follow. Everything else will come into place. And let me tell you guys that... Um, most often, we have a mixed up priority, and you know we might be busy or distracted with other things. Um, the Lord uh, tells us that we are His priority. You are God's priority. If you don't feel important, sometimes if you feel alone, if you feel that you know I can't fit into this group at school, um, you know I'm not as cool as these people are, and I want to fit in, so I do things that I don't feel like doing, but it's the only th- the only way I'll be able to fit into this group at school. You don't feel cool. You feel worthless. You feel useless. You go home and you just feel alone. Let me tell you guys, you're the Lord's priority. It says that our hairs are are numbered on our head. The Lord counts our hairs. He he knows the number of hairs on our head. He he knows our our past, present, and future. He knows our coming and going. You're the Lord's priority. Be encouraged by that. Don't feel alone. And it's good to come here and uh, fellowship with our, our fellow believers in Christ. And, um... Encourage one another in school and build one another up. So what's going on is the Lord says, people of Judah, it's time to rebuild the temple. You have a mixed up priority. You're finding your satisfaction in other things other than me. Build the temple of the Lord. Worship me. I want to have relationship with you. I want to fellowship with you, but you're too busy. All right. Verse two says, the people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Their zeal they once had zeal to rebuild the temple and worship the Lord, but their zeal turned to laziness. Their zeal turned to apathy, afraid of the opposition. Verse 6. Uh, we went through that list. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You know, they, they have a mixed up priority. Verse, verses 4 and 9 says this. Verse 4 says, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Well, this house remains a ruin. This house referring to the house of the Lord. And verse 9 says, You expected much, but see, it has turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. So there, if you would, in, uh, in our day and age, 
the application is, is, you know, they were too busy with their equipping their own flesh and not equipping their spiritual maturity. And so, um, you know, in the same way, we're zealous and passionate to to build the uh, the process of our own lives. The, we're, we're eager to build our spiritual maturity in the Lord. That's why we have summer and winter camps so we can put away distractions and get our hearts right with the Lord. We come home, we face opposition, and say, "Okay, this isn't uh, this isn't the road I want to go down because other people." Um, don't view my relationship with the Lord as, as cool. They don't encourage me my relationship with the Lord. So we, be, we begin to come lazy and apathetic, lackadaisical. Romans twelve eleven says this. Listen to this, guys. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. But we naturally begin to feed our flesh. Um, God's word says that our bodies are a temple unto the Lord. Um, and if we're not building our temple, if we're not building our bodies up with God's word... Uh, with prayer, with fellowship in the body of Christ, then we're off bu- busy building our flesh. We're building, we're busy building our paneled houses, um, which is representative of our flesh, and we're consumed with building up our bodies um, with our flesh rather than equipping our spiritual maturity. Um, but verse two, um, the people say, "Now is not the time." Um, you know, oftentimes um, before I go to bed, I, I like to do my devotions, but I see my Bible on my nightstand or I see my Bible on my, uh, on my dresser and I'm like, uh, oh, I know I should, uh, I should read my Bible today, but I'm too tired. I'll get to it in the morning. Um, Jesus woke up early in the morning. So, yeah, I'm going to do that too. And so you wake up and you look at the clock and say, oh, not now. I'm too tired. I'll get to my Bible later. And just that whole putting off, uh, mentality. Um, someone once said that, uh, Satan's favorite word is tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. You know, once tomorrow hits, um, it's just the present. And so there will be another tomorrow. So tomorrow never comes. And Satan loves, uh, would love for you to put things off, would love for you to be distracted, would love for you to put off reading your Bible, love for you to put off prayer, uh, would love for you to put things off. And if anybody um, knows what procrastination is, it's me. Um, I put things off to the last minute, whether it's schoolwork or, you know, some of you guys can relate to that. I put things off to the last minute in any situation. I'll be up, you know, midnight. I got a term paper due the next day and I work best under pressure. So I'll knock that out, be up till four in the morning, turn my paper in and I'll be like, man, I'm never doing that again. And then the next paper, I'm doing that again. And uh, so Satan loves for us to put things off and when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Um, but let me encourage you guys, um, today is the day of salvation. Um, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this. Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. If some of you guys are here that don't have a relationship with the Lord, um, maybe because you're too busy or you want, you're putting it off because... You say, I'll, I'll wait and I'll give my life to the Lord in high school. Or I'll wait, I'll give my life to the Lord in college. Or just after I'm done having fun. Let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. We're never promised tomorrow. We don't know the future. The Lord does. But let's trust in Him. Let's put our, our hope in Him. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. Um, Jesus says this in Luke 9. Um, there, in, uh, in this situation, there's, Jesus, is, Jesus has his disciples gathered around him. He has uh, his followers gathered around him, some people that um, are following Jesus around. And uh, Jesus is, is looking for those who will, um, who will follow him, who will have a relationship with him. And, and some people raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll follow you, but. I want to follow you, Jesus, but. And the situation we're given is um, one says, yeah, I'll follow you, but let me first bury my father. 
And um, Jesus says, no, follow me now. And that seems a little harsh, like, Jesus, just let him go bury his dad. His dad died, like, you're so mean. But um, according to the, to the context and the culture of that period, we uh, come to know that the guy's dad's not even close to dying. He's just saying, let me spend time with my family. Let me spend time with my dad. Eventually down the road, when he dies, I'll bury him, and then I'll be ready to follow you. And Jesus says, no, follow me now. Another guy says, I'll follow you, Jesus, but let me first go say goodbye to my family. I'll be right back, and then I'll come and follow you. But these are just excuses, and we can make every excuse in the book to not follow Jesus. But the Lord wants us. He, he wants communion. He wants relationship with us now. And I'm not here to tell you, read your Bible every day and pray every day um, because that's what a relationship with the Lord is. Those things, that's a relationship with the Lord consists of daily communion with him, but he doesn't hold a finger over you saying, you didn't read your Bible today. How could you? I don't love you anymore. That's not Jesus. But, you know, um, to put it in perspective, you guys have relationships with your best friends, with your best girlfriends, with your best buddies. You have a relationship with your parents. How, is those, how are those relationships developed? Through time with them, through fun with them, through doing things with them. How do you get to know your parents? Through spending time with them. How do you get to have a relationship with one of your girlfriends? By going to the mall with them, by shopping with them, by coming over, having to have a sleepover tonight. I want to get to know you and have a, have a friendship with you. For, for those of you guys, you know, let's, let's get together. Let's throw the football around. Let's spend some time together. You develop that friendship, that relationship by spending time with them. It's the same way. Don't complicate it. The Lord wants to have a relationship with you. How has that relationship grown? How has that relationship matured and developed? By spending time with them. By waking up and praying in the morning, reading his word and saying, Lord, I want to know you. And so I want to spend time with you. And we're able to know what the Lord uh, asks of us. We're able to know how to be obedient to the Lord by spending time with them. Same way. Spend time with the Lord. He wants relationship with you. That's why we come here and we come here and we read God's word so we can know the Lord and we can have fellowship with him. And so be encouraged by this. Let's see how the people finish. Okay, so to summarize, the people say, now's not the, now's not the time to rebuild the temple. All right, we're focused on building our own houses. We faced opposition. We didn't really feel comfortable with that. So we put the building project on pause and the Lord says, no, now is the time to start the project that you once started, all right? Let's see how the people finish. Verse 12 of chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. That's encouraging to hear. Most of the time, unfortunately, when God sent a prophet to tell the people that they were in sin or that they were um, doing something wrong, the Lord would send a prophet, and the prophet would say, hey, turn your hearts back to the Lord. And most of the time, the people would say, be quiet. We don't want to listen to you. We're having too much fun doing what we want. Stop telling us what the Lord wants. Fortunately, this is one of the rare times we see that people actually responded in obedience to the Lord. So it says, the people obeyed the voice of the Lord uh, their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Verse 13 Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. Isn't that encouraging? I am with you. So uh, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So it says they obeyed. 
They feared, and they put that faith into practice. They worked. It is, isn't it encouraging to know the Lord was with them. All right, guys, listen to this. So we go to high school. We, go to, uh, we move up to the next grade level, and we feel like we're all alone in this. We feel like, you know, I made that commitment to the Lord at summer camp. I gave my life to him. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I went um, out from summer camp with this spiritual fervor, just wanting to worship the Lord. And then we come home, we go to school, and we're distracted, and we're afraid, and we're alone that we're not going to be accepted. But know this, that the Lord is with you. And there'll be those times where you feel distracted and lonely. There'll be those times where you feel like, I'm the only one in this. You'll be at school and, you know, Jesus isn't considered cool uh, in some of the friend groups. All right, your relationship with Jesus won't be encouraged. But know this, the Lord is with you. Be encouraged by that. Sometimes you'll feel alone, but the Lord is with you. Um, So they obeyed, they feared the Lord, and they they got to work. And he promises to be with us. Um, It took 24 days from the prophecy um, until they actually started the rebuilding process. So some of you um, who dedicated your life to camp, who gave your life to camp, or just had that really intense fellowship with the Lord at camp, know that the Lord is with you. Okay, the Lord says, let's, let's do this together. I'm with you. Going into the school year, don't be afraid. The Lord's with you. And he's, he's there in the building process of your spiritual maturity. All right, so let's, let's have that spiritual fervor. Let's go into school feeling encouraged, knowing that the Lord is with us. And hey, we've got... I don't know, a hundred and some people in this room that are going to the similar schools, are going to the same schools. Let's, let's connect with those guys at school. Let's connect with those girls at school and, and build each other up, encourage one another and say, hey, you're not alone. I'm with you. The Lord is with you too. All right, so let's be encouraged by that. All right, guys. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time that we've been able to worship you and spend in your word. Uh, Lord, some of us uh, might be anxious about going to school, especially those going into a a new school um, or into high school to the next grade level, Lord. I pray that you would go before them, be with them, encourage them, and give them your peace. Lord, thank you for promising to be with us and never leaving us. We give you praise, honor, and glory. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, we pray that you would just um, fill us with your spirit and encourage us. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.